On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Housing is something we're going to talk about with our next guest, the leader of the Green Party and the Minister for the Environment and Transport, Eamon Ryan. Um, Minister, thanks very much for, for joining us in the studio this lunchtime. Uh, we'll talk about um, the housing situation and a few other things. But first of all, um, there are some pieces in this weekend's papers that you are planning to abolish VAT on solar panels. Tell us more. We've set really ambitious targets. Um, now, we've changed the law. In the last year, it was it used to be very difficult to sell power back to the grid. We've mm. changed that. I remember this, speaking to you on this programme before about some of the difficulties people have had. Yeah, real problems. But that's changed. And there'll be further changes this year in terms of particularly allowing farmers or large businesses to be able to s- generate and use and sell their own power. Okay. Now, to further accelerate that, um, we're going to, subject to the Cabinet agreeing on Tuesday, take the VAT off solar panels to bring the cost down. Because it's, okay. it's still for a lot of families, a lot of households, you look at the equation, you think, oh, you know, it might take six, seven years. Well, if we can shave a year mm. off that on the payback, it will help the expansion. And so we, what, what are you bringing the overall ballpark cost to then for, for a household? Imagine someone in a three-bed semi-detached who's looking at getting solar panels installed on their roof. What would it cost net I'm of all nervous, of this now? I'm nervous, Gavin, because it's changed. I mean, when I did it 10 years ago, it was about 12000 I think it's probably about half that price now. Okay. And, and we need to bring it down further. Okay. Um, it's, it, and, and, and it's not just in the household. I mean, there are about 50,000 households already made the switch, have already put panels on the roof. Mm. And as I said, if you talk to anyone in the industry now, their phones are hopping. Yeah. Because in the high price of gas, high price of electricity, people can see the sense of it. So we want that to expand, but we also want businesses. We want all those warehouse roofs, factory roofs. Uh, 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 we want farmers, particularly farmers. I think there's huge potential because a lot of dairy farms, for example, they they have a big demand for electricity. They've got to cool the milk. They've got to uh, pump all their milking machines. Mm. And that tends to be in sync with the summer. You know, milk, sure. most grazing yeah. is in the summer. Most of the milking is in the summer. So that's when you've got the solar power. So there's a really good match. We've set a target in the next three years to deliver five gigawatts of solar. Now, that's... If that was at full capacity, it never is, and and uh, if the capacity factor is lower anyway, but that's roughly the size of the power demand as we're speaking at the moment in the country. So, um, And it's as much renewables as we've built over the last 20. That's what we need to do on solar alone, as well as on offshore wind and onshore wind. And so those sort of signals, tax signals to help make it happen, okay. uh, I think is going to be a real help. All right. Um, there's a few domestic issues that I do want to press you on, but just on the broader theme of, of energy and climate. Um, we, we have had this the report, this new synthesis report from the IPCC, which I appreciate the, the details of which may have gone over a lot of people's heads. But effectively, it was arguing that Western societies now need to start planning for a net zero future by the year 2040 rather than 2050. Now, I find this to be somewhat ironic, given that it's only come a couple of weeks after the EU decided to start phasing out um, the sale of fossil fuel cars from 2035, because we had our own domestic plans that you inherited from your predecessor, Shane Ross, to have them all gotten rid of by 2030. We now find ourselves, am I right, unable to enforce that because we have to abide by a common EU policy. And that means selling these vehicles for five years more at a time that we're being told that we actually need to do more rather than less. We do need to do more on that IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change Support, is critical because it does, it, the, the risk is that we go over certain tipping points, the likes of release of methane from the Siberian tundra as, as it defrosts and, and releases that methane is, is one of the risks, is an example of the risks. Okay. And that's why there's an urgency. I think in energy, 
we will actually have, be able to do it because, as I said, there's an exponential growth in solar, the scale of offshore wind we have, the benefit of efficiency, the high cost of, of, of fossil alternatives. Makes sense. Transport is probably transport and agriculture are going to be the two most difficult. In transport, the switch to electric vehicles is happening, and it's actually ahead of target. We, we, we kind of mapped out how do you get to this, you know, whatever, 800,000 cars. We're still trying to get to 950,000 by the end of the decade, or is that the scale yeah, back? Because, because they're better cars. Mm, but is that still the target? It's No, it's not a fixed target. It's slightly lower than that. But the, 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 the exact number isn't key, because in truth... The question is, um, it's not just about switching to electric vehicles. We also need to reduce the volume of traffic by about 25% in a country where the population is growing and, and where the economy is growing. But that's a real challenge. And also we have to switch to public transport and to walking and cycling at scale and at speed. Mm. And that is, uh, so, so if you fix on any one target and they go, that's the key thing, it's yeah. not. There are about three or four things. No, so, so the, the broader principle is fine, but it is ironic that we were going to phase them out by 2030 and now we're told that we can't phase them out that because the rest of Europe isn't doing so. Yeah, but if you look at what's happening, every single car company is introducing electric vehicles. Um, they're starting to, you'll start to see this year kind of slightly cheaper vehicles, mm. smaller, you know, not just the big, expensive. And if if a car company isn't switching electric, they're not going to be business in 10 years' time, in my mind. So it's... it's uh, so you, it, you, you think it's a bit of a fallacy, switch. the idea that it's going to be a delay because the market will just move that way anyway? I think the, cust- the customer will move that way because... They're lower fuel costs, lower maintenance costs, faster cars. Not that that's, you know, we, we have to be careful about speed, but, mm. but they're better cars to drive as well as being cleaner. But and in the last couple of mo- weeks, have you not lowered the grant for buying an electric car? Yeah, because I was signalled that in last year's budget, because what, what I think we need to do, there's still about 8,500 euros up to when you include VRT in the grant. So it's mm. not a small contribution from the state. But I think most people driving would would agree that if we have money to spend in this area, and we do significant money, we should put it into the charging network so that those who get the cars really get to benefit. Okay, so instead of subsidising the purchase, you are subsidising the creation of the network to charge them. Yeah, and to keep the car companies on their toes, not to expect, you know, because they could often price in some of those grants if... if, uh, if uh, they went on forever sure. in a day. Uh, just before I go into domestic issues, just because you mentioned climate issues, and one thing that, that's been raised in the last uh, month or so is a lot of people raising eyebrows about the transport or the, the carbon emissions that would accrue from a minister visiting China for St. Patrick's Day. How do you reconcile in your own mind doing that? Does the government do anything to buy carbon offsets or how do you justify travel of that extent? Yeah, we offset by putting money into the carbon fund, which will invest in a whole range of different areas here. But that I, I don't think that's the real answer. Um, I do have to justify my, my trip to China and indeed I mean I'll be doing a fair bit of travel in the next year particularly with this work in the International Energy, Energy Agency my main reason I mean there were two or three reasons for going to China one was to visit Irish communities that had been isolated for the last three years and mm. gone through a tough time like COVID was tough there and I thought we had events in Shanghai Hong Kong and Beijing and I think the local community and just bringing our, like the Irish community coming together like that's worth a lot um, and then secondly the main reason, I was meeting the Chinese um, environment minister. Now, I'm going to be meeting him again in uh, Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, Abu Dhabi, this autumn for the meeting of the parties on climate change. Yes. And I'm hoping I might be, do what I did in Egypt, where I was negotiating on behalf of the European Union on some critical issues for climate justice, loss and damage and so on. If you have a relationship with someone, you have a completely different negotiating position. Yeah. And so I sat down with him for two hours. We had a very long discussion on that and other and energy issues. And our like 
our energy future is, depends a lot on what happens in China. Like they're one, they're the big consumer of gas, mm. which we're in the same market for. Um, we get mo- all the solar panels are coming from China. Eighty five percent of them. All the batteries for the electric vehicles are the same. Um, but primarily for climate, to be able to sit down and have a a listening. To, you know, so what's your position? Mm. Where, and do what our, our ambassador in China said correctly. We don't do megaphone diplomacy. But we do sit down in in a confidential yeah. way, okay. and and that discussion you can't really do on Zoom. No, fair enough. But but just as regards the actual the environmental impact of that travel, you do do something proactive to try and offset it, it, that level. It goes of. into the carbon fund, which we then are going to invest in Irish farming, in transport systems, in alternative energy okay, systems. Fair but, enough. but offsetting is not. I mean, it, it, it's better than not doing sure. it, but you can't really use it, wave it as a. Uh, sure, you know, understood. Of um, domestically, politics has of course been dominated in the last few weeks by the government's decision to lift the, the ban on no-fault evictions which took effect yesterday morning and we've already been hearing in the programme from the Simon community about the impact that that's going to, to have on them. Um, are you still absolutely sure in your own mind that doing what you're doing is the right thing to do despite the fact that we are almost certainly going to see a significant spike in short-term homelessness? You can never be 100% certain. Like the world is complicated and our housing situation is particularly complicated and challenging and difficult at this moment in time. But I think there was a real risk. I mean, sorry, firstly, none of the opposition parties were saying, none of the main opposition parties, Sinn Féin, Sock Dems, Labour, whatever, were uh, the pe- people for profit may, ha- may have a different position. Mm. But none of the others were saying you continued the eviction ban forever and a day because they realised that would undermine the rental hmm. market in a way no. that, you know, who'd go into, who would possibly put a, put a market uh, no, property and, and, and equally, they voted for the law that your government introduced, but they did it on the premise that more would be done in the meantime to alleviate the situation and they feel like it was five months wasted. And I suppose that's the key thing is the measures that we have introduced, we have to make sure we deliver them now. They were started yesterday, a lot of them, that... Um, that those, particularly in the case where someone is look, looking for an eviction for sale of the property, not for them to move into it or for mm. a relative to move into it, where most would agree in those circumstances, um, no one was arguing that the moratorium should continue. But in cases of sale, um, what we have introduced is not insignificant and the Green Party had a significant role in putting forward these proposals. Um, it will start with an expansion of the tenant in situ scheme. So where someone uh, who is in receipt of housing supports of any sort would be able to, we'd be able to get the local authority to purchase that property, mm. convert it to social housing stock and, mm. and provide... But that's, that's a large quantity of tenants, but it's not the lion's share. No. So for those who aren't in receipt of housing supports, we also initially on an administrative basis uh, with the law to follow, which will take some time because it is complex law, a month mm. or two, um, for the local authority or the AHB similarly to have the ability to purchase the property if that if that household is at risk of homelessness yeah. and to rent back to the property at a cost rental rent and, and, and I suppose this term maybe confuses people but it, it is what it says in the tin that the, the rent covers the cost of the purchase of the property okay. and it's typically about 25% below market rates rents but it's in the market so mm. it's not restricted as to who but, well there's but, some restrictions but, but you, less restrictions but as you to say rent ahead of that being legislated for that that is already kind of being done on an administrative basis anyway. It is. Because I, I've seen responses from people who are facing into homelessness this weekend who are getting in touch with me in the Virgin Media newsroom this week and saying that their local authority wasn't aware of any such arrangements. Well, the, the Minister for Housing, Dara Bryan, has been in touch with every local authority, has set up a special team within his department to make sure everyone is fully informed and behind the approach. It does exist in other countries. Sorry, further down the line, we will also be introducing later this month 
a grant, first home grant, and and again changing that. It typically previously it's a, it's where the, the it's a shared equity scheme. Whereas if you can't afford to purchase the property, mm. the state buys it for you. The state buys it for you, shares the equity, and that helps you make make it affordable to switch from being a tenant to being a, a landowner to being the owner of the house. Mm. Um, that'll come in later this month. And as I said in time, then the legal mechanisms because it is complex for first refusal, so that the local authority has to have the right or the AHB of making that first offer. And most landlords are going to want to go with this backstop approach because you'd save on advertising costs, you've no rental gap. Mm. Um, but you, you don't, don't get to engage in the market. Everyone knows well, when you, you put up, when you put up, when you, you know, you independent valuation, everyone gets a valuer before they sell a property, but then the market is what it is and the, the asking price ends up being 20 or 30,000 lower than the sales price. And you're saving probably significant, those sort of costs because you don't have, as I said, all the estate agents, all the advertising, all the interim costs, you get the, the rent runs right through the, the whole period. So there will be real saving and benefits. Other countries have introduced it. We're not the first to do it, France and others. There are complexities in it, as in any system, but I believe it is a significant improvement in rental rights in this country. And and yes, it has to be introduced quickly. Yes, that's a, you'd prefer to have had several more months, but uh, we are going to introduce it and make sure it does work. And that, I think, in the end, in the long run, is going to be the, prote- the best protection against eviction. Okay. But you're, you're still confident that what the government is doing is the right thing to do in spite of the short-term pain it will cause? Yes, difficult as it is. Okay. Uh, before I let you go, um, it was reported this week that you had proposed an indefinite suspension for Nasa Harrigan for her voting against the government uh, on the evictions ban last week, the third time that she's departed. Uh, can you Are you in a position to confirm that that was your proposal? To be honest, when we were discussing inside in our parliamentary party, we said we said we wouldn't share publicly what each individual position was. But what evidently, I, someone did though. They told it to Hugh O'Connell, who reported it. Yeah, um, my my view is is uh, it's very unfortunate because NASA is highly talented, highly capable, a very valuable part of our team. But that the uh, you know we do have to we we we're in a very strong position in government. We're actually delivering a huge amount of what the people voted for us want us to deliver, and we have a huge amount more to deliver. The strength of that comes with everyone uh, voting together, because that gives you real strength of argument when it comes to negotiation with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, mm. uh, what we need to do. And it wasn't in, in any in, in any personal punitive or any there wasn't any personal yeah. kind of views within it, as it were. It was purely. We need to maintain our strength so that we can deliver for the people. And I believe... Well, was it necessary to strip her of her committee positions? But that's a, that was a decision of the parliamentary party and we made that collectively. But is it, a, is it necessary? Well, I, I, I think the parliamentary party made the right collective call and, and uh, uh, as I said... Um, that's not easy, but that sometimes you 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 have to make decisions in politics which are difficult for what you consider the greater good. Okay. And finally, in, in fifteen months, if the government is still on the road and there is still an option to bring her back, would you like to see her back within the fold at that point? Yeah, I don't. I've, I've never said anything different to that. No, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be an issue. Okay, we will leave it there. Uh, Eamon Ryan, the leader of the Green Party and the Minister for Environment and Transport, thank you very much for joining us. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.